Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Christos Anesti. Christ is risen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the joyful 50 days. And each week we said the church is teaching us about the characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ as Christ the bridegroom. So in week two we saw that Christ was the bread of life. I'm going to quiz you. So bread of life, week two. Week three, he is the living water. Week three, the living water. Week four, the light of the world. And today, week five, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The bread of life, Ulumaya, the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, and the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel today is from John chapter 14. And in order to understand this gospel, we need to understand the context of the gospel. In John chapter 13 was the... The Last Supper. And so we are approaching the final like hours of Christ's life here on earth. And as the Lord was speaking to them about His crucifixion and His death, then He told one of His disciples, He told St. Peter, You will deny me three times. So you can imagine the spirit of the room was dead. Yeah, very low, low spirits. And so what the Lord wanted to do to them is to give them hope and to lift them up. And that's why the gospel begins today, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So what the Lord wanted to do was to take away their, their distress. And how did He take away their distress? Is He pointed them to heaven. And that's why He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. Many mansions means many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place to you. So this should have now comforted the disciples that he is going to prepare them for uh, or prepare a place for them. St. Augustine says that what does it mean that the Lord is going to prepare a place for them? The Lord, he created the whole world with the word. What does it mean to prepare a place for them? St. Augustine says is that the Lord, when He is preparing a place, what He meant by that is that He is preparing the occupants for the place. He is preparing the occupants for the place. How is He preparing the occupants? By the crucifixion. By the work of the Holy Spirit that we'll receive on Pentecost. That's how you are able to go to... To heaven. Today is about how you can go to heaven. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, If you want to go to heaven, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's why mm, there's a beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... I have nothing in this world satisfies my desires. The most probable explanation... Akid, the only explanation is that we are not made, or that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. And when Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, He was trying to take us to another world, to the heavens. And what's nice about this, 
or maybe problematic to some, is that Christ is exclusive. He is exclusive. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only source of life. And today I want to dig deep into each one of these expressions. The first one is the way. The way. Jesus Christ is the way. Our Lord is the way to heaven. If you want to go to Florida, there are a number of ways you could get there. And you have many choices of airlines that you could choose from. There's many airports to fly to. If you don't want to fly, you can drive. If you don't want to drive, you could take a train. If you don't want to take the train, you could take a bus. You have multiple ways to get to your destination. The same is not true about heaven. There is only one way to get to heaven. Only one way. There's only one plane. There's only one ship that can go to this altitude of the heavens. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to be on board this ship... We must, the way is, to carry our cross, to deny ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves. That's why the Lord said, wide is the gate and broad is the the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many go by that way. That's a way. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the, the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Because the way to heaven is the narrow path. It is the path to deny ourselves. It is the path of suffering. And that's why in the Catholic epistle today, St. Peter, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Like, don't be scared of the difficult way, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you also be glad with exceeding joy. The way of heaven is through denying ourselves and through following the commandments and righteousness. When you read the long psalm, you know the long psalm, Psalm 118, in the Egbe in the midnight hour. The very first verse of the long psalm is Blessed are the blameless in the in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. And then he says They who work iniquity have not desired to walk in his ways. Do you walk in iniquity or do you walk in his his ways. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your ordinances. And then the next part of the long psalm, it says, and this is a question I wish all the youth ask themselves. The next one, it says, Wherewith shall a young man straighten his way? How can I straighten my way? He says, by keeping your words. If you want to walk the way to heaven, you have to keep the commandments. You have to be Righteous. The last part of the way, the way to heaven is through the blood of Christ. Is through the blood of Christ. He is the high priest. And the only way to get to heaven is to follow the high priest who will take you to heaven. That's why the, the Pauline epistle today is from Hebrews chapter 10 about the 
high priest. He says, therefore brethren, St. Paul says, therefore brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, by a new and living way. I was thinking about this new and living way. Heaven, that is like intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. Into you guys. Do you guys invite everyone to your bedroom? I hope not. This is a place of intimacy. The only ones who come to the bedroom are those who should be invited to the bedroom. And the only way that you can have this intimacy with God in the heaven is that if you follow the high priest, if you are washed by his blood, otherwise you are not allowed (laughs) into this bedroom. You are not allowed in this intimacy with God. This is the way. This is the way. He is the way, He is the the truth, the truth. When our Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to Pilate, Pilate asked him, are you a king? And Jesus said, for rightly you say that I am a king, for this cause I was born, for this cause I came into the world. That I should bear witness to the... That I should bear witness to the... To the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my... Voice. Everyone who is of the truth, hear my voice. Then Pilate asked a very beautiful question that I wish we think about. He said, what is, what is truth? What is truth? We live in a society that has no truth anymore. No truth. Everything is relative. There is no universal good, no universal evil. What is good for me could be bad for you. And what's bad for you could be good for me. But the thing about the truth is that the truth is undeniable. Undeniable. The truth is not a matter of perception. It is not a matter of perception. And there's a famous idea that we, like people in society, they love to, to relate about how religions are like different religions, are like different perceptions of the same God. And to Samato, this one, like it's called religious pluralism. Everybody is right, everybody is okay. These are all different variations of the same God. And one idea that one analogy that is often used is you have an elephant. analogy You have an elephant. And there are blind men that are touching the elephant. And so the first blind man he comes to the trunk of the elephant and he holds the trunk and he says, Hmm, this is a snake. And okay, that's a snake. Then the second blind man comes and he touches the, 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 a different part of the elephant, the leg of the elephant. He says, hmm, this is a tree. And then another person touches the tail of the elephant and says, hmm, this is a rope. And then another person touches the side of the elephant and says, this is a wall. So many people use this analogy to say that... God is like, God forbid, is like this elephant, and that all the different religions are like these blind men touching different parts of the elephant. What's wrong with this analogy? There's a lot of things wrong with this analogy. But see, I mean, two things about this analogy so wrong. One is, the guy can say, this is a rope, and this is a tree, and this is a snake, and all of this stuff, and that might be what he really believes, 
But at the end of the day, he is wrong. It's not. It's an elephant, Habibi. It's not a snake. It's not. It's wrong. So there is a truth that this is an elephant. And just because you describe it a different way, the way it feels and perceives and the way you were brought up, doesn't make it the truth. It doesn't make it the truth. The second problem with this analogy is that it assumes that well, the elephant can't speak. So if someone is touching the elephant and he's saying this is, this is a snake, yani mafrud, yani if the elephant was smart, he would say, no Habibi, this is not a snake, this is my, this is my trunk. And God, throughout thousands of thousands of thousands of years, has been saying to all the idols, those are not gods. I am the true God. Yani when Aaron was offering and built the calf, he said, people, these are the gods that took you out of Egypt. You think God can, oh, maybe he's just feeling the trunk of the elephant. No, he came down and destroyed that idol and said, no, there is no other God before me. Isn't that the first commandment? There shall be no other God before me. So we can't have multiple this perception is, is, a, is false, it's a deception, it is not real. God has been speaking to mankind, revealing His truth for generations. And in these last days, truth became incarnate in the person, Jesus Christ. And that's why, when the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman asked Him, said, Your, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain... You Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Did Christ say, oh, your perception is good. Your perception is fine. It's just the wrong part of the elephant. No, he said to her, you worship what you do not know. You are worshiping something you do not know. And then he says, we know what we worship. And he said, salvation is of the Jews, as if to say all the other religions, even though Samaritans so close to Judaism, share, like history, share, but very different. It's not the same. This is not the truth. And Christ never was a relativist the way society is now. Christ came to proclaim what the truth is. That's why he said, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So our truth has to be correct dogma, correct doctrine. He says, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. It's not okay that everyone just go and worship the way they want. No. And maybe along uh, the, another issue with the analogy that I have is, are you followers of blind men? Like the blind men who, into you, you would follow blind people? Blind, if you, the blind follows the blind, they both fall into the ditch. We didn't follow blind people, we followed enlightened people. People full of the Holy Spirit, full of people who bore witness to the truth. The truth. The truth is undeniable. Truth is not a perception. And what I have realized is that truth becomes deniable. You know when truth becomes deniable? This is important. When does truth become deniable? When it's convenient for me. When it's convenient for me, then I can 
deny truth. Pilate, he saw truth, he believed Christ, but it's very inconvenient to believe that Christ is the king and he is governor. That's kind of inconvenient. I have a problem now. I'm going to lose my, my governorship. So it's not convenient for me to believe the truth. So when we start to say, oh, the truth is, and we start to debate truth, realize it's because maybe the truth is inconvenient for me. The truth is calling me, is convicting me, and I don't want to believe the truth. I'd rather just believe all the lies that society is telling me. The last thing that I want to say on this idea is you can believe whatever you want to believe. And there are many atheists and there's many people and everyone. But there will be a day when you will have to stand before the throne of God and to give an account. And truth will be revealed. And the books will be uncovered. And everything will be exposed. Then what will you say when you are standing before the throne of God? You're going to say, I didn't know. I, uh, everybody else was doing it. I didn't. We won't be able to deny truth. Truth is everlasting. Remember, remember that. I always worry about the atheist or the different, or the one who doesn't believe in God. And imagine the second they pass away, they're in face to face with the Son of God. And their whole life they've been saying, oh, we don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe, we don't believe. And then all of a sudden, oh, there's the Son of God sitting on His throne with glory. Oops. This should, like, that's why we have a duty to preach truth. We have a duty to preach the gospel. And our truth is not so that we're just arrogant people and say, "Mm, we're the best and everybody else is going to the sad place. No, because we know truth, we have the, the, the duty to share this truth with everyone. Lastly, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our lives are for... The Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is life. He is the bread of life. He is resurrection and life. Our Lord said, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Abundantly. Sin brings death. Jesus brings Life, And that's why everything in our life, everything in our life should be about our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have an abundant and fruitful life, you have to be, everything in your life should be about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are complicated, so demanding. We have jobs, we have relationships, we have so many things in our lives. But the basics, the fundamental aspects of life should be the Lord Jesus Christ. The fundamental aspects of life are these. If you want to get to heaven, you need to have these things. One is, you should have a life of prayer. Life of, life of prayer. It's not called ten minutes of prayer, it's called life of Prayer. I came across a beautiful quote that says, To be a Christian without prayer, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer and the life of the Christian, is, this, this is the life of the Christian, is prayer. I think we can all agree as a church, we need to become better at prayer. We need to become better with our egbeyas. We need to pray with purpose.
Pray with a purpose. Pray with a heart full of faith. Each person can examine their prayer life today. This is the basics of the Christian life. The second aspect of life, if you want to have a Christ-centered life, is that we need to meditate on the Bible. Meditate on the, on the Bible. The Word of God is our daily bread. Daily bread. Daily bread. Daily food. The one who doesn't eat becomes malnourished. They become scrawny. They become ugly. The bodybuilder who eats his protein every day, he builds his muscles. And everyone who reads the Bible every day is going to grow in their spiritual life. Is going to grow in their spiritual life. That's why Psalm 1 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and day and night. Are you meditating on the Bible day and night? And do you meditate on the Bible day and night? The third aspect of life is life of... Repentance. Life of repentance. Repentance isn't something for once a year. I just go repent once a year. Repentance daily exercise of turning the heart to God. It is constant examination of myself. It is the constant seeking of God's will and not my own will. The life of repentance inspires me to make tomorrow better than today. I sin today. Tomorrow I will not sin. Today I lusted. Tomorrow I will not give in to lust. I will fight harder against lust. Today I was a coward. I didn't stand up for the gospel. I fell into peer pressure. I did a lot of things. Tomorrow I will be brave. I will stand for the gospel. I might have setbacks today, I might fall today, but each time I fall, I examine my fall, I learn from my fall, I repent from my fall, and the grace of God will lift me higher and higher. The life of repentance is key to spiritual growth. Without repentance, we will feel stuck. We can go years and years and years and years without praying. We go years without Bible reading. We go years and years and years living in sin. And then we say, oh, we're not growing in our spiritual life. Our life is, a, is about repentance. We need to repent on the daily, on the regular. That's why it's called life of repentance. Life of repentance. And the fourth and the last aspect of this life is service. Life of service. Do you live a life of service? Look at what the, the Pauline epistle said today. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Do you stir up love and good works amongst yourselves? Not forsaking the assembly of our people. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some people, they forsake the assembly. They don't want to be part of the church. They just want to come, take communion and leave, and they don't want to have anything to do with anybody. Don't forsake the assembly together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, exhorting one another, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Your life should be about serving others. The essence of service, what is service? Because Anna, I feel we have a big confusion in our church, because we, we give titles that are sometimes meaningless. 
Like we say servant and then this is just a meaning like it's just a, like a filler of just yeah, we have chanters but the chanters don't chant. But what's the point? Yani, like what would be the point of having like a doctor and he's not a doctor? What's the point of having servants but they don't serve? What is service about? Service is about sacrificing my rights, my privileges for the sake of another and not for any profit at whatsoever. Take this definition of service and put it in your mind. The definition of service is sacrificing my rights, my privileges for the sake of someone else, for nothing in return. That is service. That is service. We have an obligation to serve one another, to support one another, to ask about one another, to care for one another, to love one another. This is what life is all about. If you want to have life, you need to do these things. Life of prayer. Life of meditating on the Bible. Life of repentance. Life of service. All of these things are for life. These are the things that lead to everlasting life. Thanks be to God. Our Lord was the greatest example in all of these. And He has paved the way for us to follow. Because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And glory be to God forever. Amen.